Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 81st episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Well, Daniel's sitting next to me. He's super tired. Not really. He just drove five hours, six hours straight. And then we sit down and we record. Get home and then go, okay, are you ready to record? You got a factoid? Are you ready? <laughs> Come on. We got to give them what they want. Yes. I guess. All 11 of them. All 11 of you. Daniel, you got some factoids for me? I'm going to read nine, actually ten, predictions from old sci-fi movies that became real. Okay, that is fun. Are most of them The Simpsons? None of them are Simpsons. Oh, because Simpsons I always... I could do just Simpsons I know. It's really weird. If you guys look on YouTube, you do Simpsons predictions, and it's insane. This is it's stuff weird. that actually now exists and okay. then was shown in these movies that now is part of our life. All right. So space travel was initially discussed or described in Jules Verne 1865 novel From Earth to the Moon. Mm-hmm. I think you're aware of that. Right. Um, there was a movie, though, in 1902, and it's I think it's French. Well, I know it's French. Le Voyage dans la... I think it's Loon. Or Voyage dans la Loon. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> and your mom speaks fluent French. She does, I don't. Explorers <laughs> travel to the moon in a cannon-propelled space capsule. Yeah. So they basically show these guys actually getting there, which isn't too far-fetched. They kind of tried that theory for a while to see if it's possible to launch people via like a cannon uh-huh. to get them into outer space. If you know that movie, you can picture the moon and it has eyes and a mouth smiling. Yep. And it was silent, of course. And it was silent. And I believe the moon was made out of cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they said the movie camera was only 10 years old at this point. Wow. So even back then, they were already showing what now is people go, oh, someone went to the moon. They're like, oh, oh, all right. Our son knows all that stuff, like when the first camera was made, who made it, first movie, all that kind of stuff. It's very important to know. All right. Number two is robots. And that was predicted in Metropolis, which is circus 1927. That was predicted in Metropolis? That's what Metropolis is. It's about robots. Oh, okay. All right. Long it's not a movie even... called Robots. It's called Metropolis? It's called Metropolis. Okay. And it's about robots. So this is a sci-fi movie, and it was silent mm-hmm. and black and white, of course. And it's really long. It was over two hours long. Ugh. It's like three pee breaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this film, they had an inventor who... They say resembles Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Oh, okay. And he built this metallic humanoid robot. And then it was reskinned to resemble another character in this in this movie. But anyway, they basically created this robot, which there was no such thing. 
Wow. Does a robot become human and then start killing people? I don't know. I haven't watched the movie. Oh, okay. But maybe we should. We should. It'd and be kind of cool. Maybe it it does come alive and start killing people. Yeah. Okay, so we all know what earbuds are, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in 1966, Fahrenheit 451 depicted mm-hmm. these little tiny earbuds, which basically ahead of their time. And now people read this book, and then there was this movie. And they talk to people and call people through these earbuds. Yep. Yeah, and then it wasn't until 2001 when Apple iPod started wearing, like, music coming through your ears mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. So this was way ahead of its time. Wow. It was depicted in that movie and the book. You know why it's called Fahrenheit 451? Why? Is because books burn at 451 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. That's what oh. paper burns. Gotcha. Fun. Fun fact via Melissa. All right. So here's a word we use a lot. Skype, right? Are we going to Skype? I guess we don't do it too much we don't anymore. Do it, yeah, not as much anymore. Now it's Zoom. So here's the other one that has predicted tons of stuff, and that is 2001, A Space Odyssey. And that That's a was, great movie. Yeah, it was 1968. And amongst many things that they predicted, one of them was a Skype, mm-hmm. where they make like a video call using a credit card in outer space, which is kind of cool. And That's a Stanley Kubrick movie. Yeah, and that didn't come out till like 1982 where there were a couple of clunky versions of a video phone. And then in 1992, there was a couple of others, so, but most of them failed. So it wasn't until much later that they actually figured it out. Right. So this was way ahead of its time, which is kind of cool. That is really cool. Uh, mobile phones. Those yeah. were classic Star Trek 1966. <laughs> Remember the flip phone, the yes. flip thing, and he's holding it? Oh, wow. So now we have, well, we've, we have had and have now surpassed it, but that whole flip phone situation, that's Mo- what they were doing in Star Trek. Most of us Generation Xers know a mobile phone from Say by the Bell. Zach Morris had a huge phone that he oh, would yeah, carry around. Oh, yeah, the big brick looking Yeah, the dinosaur thing. phone. We're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Or 16 Candles. 16 Where candles. he gets a phone call and he's driving the chick home. He gets a phone call in the dad's car and the Rolls Royce, and she gives him a birth control pill and goes, now we're both on the pill. Oh, my gosh. Anybody else remember that? Raise your hand. I don't. Okay. (laughs) Jake Ryan. Oh, gosh. You kind of look like Jake Ryan. Do I? Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm attracted to you. Jake Ryan or Jack Ryan? Both. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Flying cars were depicted in Blade Runner. Oh, 1982. Gosh. Oh, that's such a good movie. Amongst other things, of course. So a lot of these movies had lots of stuff, which, of course, didn't ever come to fruition. And we still don't right. have really flying cars, but... Well, according to Back to the Future 2, we were supposed to have flying cars by now. Steven they, Spielberg did us dirty. They were predicting flying cars in the 50s. I know, but... Meaning in the 50s, they were saying that by now we'd all be in flying cars, which, you know... I guess you sort of do. We can barely afford airline travel. They're called helicopters with (laughs) wheels. Gyroplanes. There's a movie called Demon Seed. That doesn't sound good at all. (laughs) That's Uh, what we call our kids. 1977, where they depicted smart homes. Because you hear now like, oh, this is a smart home, right? Where it's all like everything's all controlled and all that stuff. So that's what they had 
in this movie, which was made in 1977. Demon Seed. It's called Demon Seed. Didn't Walt Disney, wasn't that the whole purpose of Epcot was the smart home, smart business? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Which, Which also was a bit ahead of its time. If you guys haven't watched the Imagineer story. Yes. Imagineering story. Imagineering. Oh, you guys, it's wonderful. Yeah, Go watch it. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I work for a guy who's totally like Walt Disney, so it's really funny for me to watch it. Yeah, he's designing in a theme park right now. Basically. No. <laughs> Basically, it's <laughs> a theme cool. park. <laughs> and then do you remember this one? Military drones first depicted Terminator oh. 1984. Dang. 1984 was Terminator? Yep. Or the Terminator? So now wow. that's a common thing. That's like all the military does now. Yes. So military drones where they're totally controlled remotely. They can fire weapons, the whole uh-huh. nine. You know, it's James Cameron, that guy, the director of that movie. I think he's from the future. Probably. Sarah Connor. <laughs> all right. Here's a really cool one. We now have self-driving cars, right? Technically. Technically. Mm-hmm. Total Recall, 1990. Oh, my god! One of the main things in that were these self-driving taxi cabs That's with right. this kind of almost like robotic-looking taxi driver. And there's a scene where, speaking of Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger rips the, the <laughs> like, robot taxi driver out of this taxi that's self-driving, uh-huh. and he drives the taxi himself. So that was way before its time. You know the only thing I remember from Total Recall, really? I don't remember any of it, really. Well, Sharon Stone, because she was hot and sexy. And the woman with three boobs. Oh, I do remember something about that. I thought, we really want to do that in the future. We really want three boobs. I mean, if two are good, three's got to be better, right? You think? Well, I don't know. No. Let's stick with two. It's an even number. All right. Here's one that was not on there, and that is a smart watch. I think this was the first time it was depicted, was in Knight Rider, Circus 1982. Knight Rider. With David Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff. The German hero. He's a hero in my book. (laughs) Is that he would call um, Kip, right? He would call him Kit. Kit. Why did I say Kip? Kip is the brother from Napoleon Napoleon Dynamite. Dynamite. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So Kit, he would call his car from his phone or from his watch. Yep. I think it was in James Bond, too. Probably. Mm-hmm. It might have been James Bond then before Night Rider. I think it was James Rider. Bond. Shoot. All right. Well, forget <laughs> everything I just said. It's all wrong, but. Sometimes your facts are not facts. Sometimes they're just for fun. Yeah. People are going to just scream. No. Like, That's not it. That oh, was back in 1978 oh, in this goodness. movie. And like, oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. He just looks up stuff that he finds interesting. That's Don't it. Yell that at really him. is it. Like chicks with three boobs. Hey, that's interesting to that's everybody. Who isn't interested in three boobs? I know I am. All right. Well, thanks. That's Daniel. enough, right? That's good. Okay. Thanks, babe. You're welcome. Daniel. Melissa. You ready for my case? All right, this is the case of Wesley and Jocelyn Ernest. Ernest saves Christmas. I was going to say Ernest goes to jail. Oh. 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know which came first. I we'll don't know just, either. We'll just go with Ernest Who Goes cares? to Jail. I right. think you're right. Okay. Most of my information came from a book called Under Cover of the Night, A True Story of Sex, Greed, and Murder by Diane Fanning. Nice. That's kind of a weird title for a book. A little bit. Undercover of the Night. Well, night can give you cover. Yeah, I was a little confused by that title, but, you know. Well, as opposed to under, co- under the Cover of Darkness or something like that. Yeah. It just didn't flow very well. All right. Well. But you know what, Diane? You wrote a fabulous book, so yeah, good for um, you. Who are we to judge? It, I, not me. Around noon on Thursday, December 20th, 2007, a call came into the 911 call center in beautiful Bedford County, Virginia. Cool. Nestled right at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains. On the line was a woman named Marcy, and she was calling from inside the home of her best friend, 38-year-old Jocelyn Ernest. Marcy was standing just inside the back door that entered the kitchen and could see the still body of her friend. The 911 operator asked Marcy to check for a pulse and to try CPR till emergency medical technicians arrived in just a few short minutes. Marcy walked through the kitchen and into the living room, and gaining a closer look, she noticed that Jocelyn was dressed as if she had just arrived home. Jeans, a sweater, a winter coat, and heavy shoes. Guessing it was cold. It's Virginia in December. Yeah, Yeah. nippy. Jocelyn was lying flat on her back, and her legs were sticking straight out, looking stiff and unnatural. There was a large blood puddle predominantly to the right of Jocelyn's head. Marcy kneeled down to Jocelyn's left side and noticed a gun. Oh. She checked for a pulse on Jocelyn's neck, but all she felt was cold and stiffness. Obviously no heartbeat. Yeah. Jocelyn's lips and fingernails were blue. There were bloodstains running in multiple directions on her face. Okay, but she's lying flat. Right, right. The 911 operator asked Marcy to check for a pulse on her left wrist. There was nothing. No. She was then asked to place her hand on Jocelyn's stomach area to see if she was breathing. She wasn't. Jocelyn was gone. Oh, yeah. Looking around the home, she noticed something was off. Where was Jocelyn's dog, Rufus? Marcy went down the hallway to the bedroom and found Rufus in his kennel, safe and sound. She then walked back down the hallway, past the body of her best friend, and out the front door to wait on the porch for the police and the first responders. So I guess the she didn't attempt CPR because no, they just was, figured it was too late. Yeah, she was gone. I yeah. mean, she checked three different areas and couldn't feel anything, so... That's usually when you perform CPR is because you don't feel anything. Right. But the way that Jocelyn was laying and the scene, Clearly she knew she was dead. There was no coming back. No. Yeah. Okay. She was cold and stiff and okay. blue. All right. She'd been there for a bit. All she right. had. Two Bedford County deputies were the first on the scene. When they walked into the house on Pine Bluff Drive, they noticed how hot it was in the home. Each of them began sweating immediately. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's weird. 
Once medics determined that Jocelyn had no vital signs, an investigator was called. When the investigator arrived, his first question to the deputies was, Did you find a suicide note? No, sir, they answered. The detective stepped inside the front door, and he too was hit by the uncomfortable heat. He noticed the victim lying on her back. She was of medium build, had light brown hair with highlights, and was fully dressed, as if she had just walked through the front door. And her keys were lying on the floor near her body. Between the front door and Jocelyn's lifeless body, the investigator noticed a piece of white paper with four creases, as if it had at one time been folded into quarters. He put on a pair of black latex gloves and flipped that piece of paper over. On it, it read, Mom, I just can't take it anymore. I've tried so hard to be strong, but I can't continue. The ups and downs are too much to deal with. I keep trying to appear as though I am doing fine, but the days are so overwhelming and lonely. My new love will never leave the family. Wes has buried us in debt, and starting over is too much. I am so sorry, Mom. I am so sorry, everyone. Oh. The note was typed, and it was not signed. The revolver was on Jocelyn's right side on top of her coat, kind of under her armpit, which was strange because usually in suicides involving a firearm, the gun is found under the body, not on top of it. Right. Because it would fall first. It falls first and then the body kind of crumbles on top of it. Right, right. Jocelyn also appeared to have shot herself through her left temple. Oh, But the blood pool around her head and the gun were on her right side. Okay. Okay. Can you picture that? Yeah. Jocelyn's body did not appear to be staged, but it did not appear to look natural either. She looked to have been straightened out. And her head looked as if it had been moved about three feet to the left. The strands of her hair were spread out on the carpet as if they had been dragged through the blood. Everyone on the scene had been asked if they had moved her body. Everyone answered no. The investigator moved further inside the home, and down the hallway he noticed that the thermostat had been pushed to the highest setting. It was about 90 degrees. Oh, that's, uh, that's warm. At the end of the hall, he entered the master bedroom. He saw the dog in his kennel panting from the heat. Poor thing. The bedside table drawer was open around about four inches, and an unopened condom wrapper lay on the floor beside it. In the bathroom, he saw an empty wrapper on the floor and a condom in the trash can. It's a lot of condoms. But it wasn't a used condom. It was just a condom. Oh, Okay. In the guest bathroom, a box of condoms was found along with stray hair and blood droplets in the basin and on the sink's pedestal. Okay. There's a lot of condoms in this house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There seems to be a plethora of condoms. Yeah. I had also read in a couple articles that there was a folded bath towel on the lid of the toilet of the guest room. Now, okay. usually that means that you're expecting a guest. Is that what it means? That's usually what that means. 
Okay. Is somebody who was getting ready to take a shower or was expecting somebody to use that guest bathroom. So they set it out. Right. Like ready for him. Okay. So a little thing that you might not realize that I do when we're going to have guests is I always put towels on the guest bed. No, I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So there's in that, her that house, way it's very obvious. Like here's what here's the towels yeah. for you. Here's what you use. Yeah, and they're usually the nice towels because you don't want people to think you live like a heathen. Right. The ones with holes and stains mm, and yeah. stuff. We use those on ourselves. Yeah. Of course. In Jocelyn's closet, 17 spiral notebooks were found, all written in Jocelyn's handwriting. These were Jocelyn's journals. Oh, wow. She had written down everything, explaining her life in intimate detail. A large piece of butcher paper was also found with a timeline drawn out of the last 11 years of Jocelyn's life. Important events were handwritten and in first person, but there were two different writing styles indicating that someone else had written on that timeline as well. This was also found in her closet near the notebooks. Interesting. Through his search of the house, it was clear that there had not been a forced entry. If Jocelyn had been shot by somebody other than herself, they would have gained entry either by her or they knew how to get into this house. Gotcha. Many of Jocelyn's friends and family began gathering in the front yard. This seemed like an opportune time to begin questioning them about what they knew. One of Jocelyn's friends said to the detective, he finally killed her. Who? He asked. Wesley. Who's Wesley? The investigator asked. This friend explained that she suspected Jocelyn's ex-husband, Wesley Ernest. Gotcha. Wesley and Jocelyn have been married for 12 years, but in the last few years of the marriage, the couple had been going through a nasty separation and contentious divorce. Mm. Wesley did live on the other side of Virginia in Chesapeake, but in the past, he had made unexpected late-night visits to Jocelyn's home. When Jocelyn's sister was notified of her death, she too told the investigator that she suspected Wesley and warned him that, quote unquote, you will not break him. He is narcissistic and has a borderline personality. That's kind of a go-to, though, when you're explaining somebody that you don't like. That's very go-to right now. It's like using the word bully. Everybody uses the word bully. Yeah. So when anybody's talking about somebody that they don't like or who they deem to be uh, abusive or anything like that, they're always saying they're a narcissist. They're a narcissist. Yep. Okay. So is half the population a narcissist? Well, I think everyone could (laughs) display narcissistic tendencies. Absolutely. I think so. But hopefully we tend to control ourselves enough or or self-aware. But by the end of this you will more than likely agree with the sister. Whoa. (laughs) Sisters are usually right. They usually are. Yeah. Once the shock of finding her friend deceased on the living room floor wore off, Marcy was also questioned by investigators. Marcy and Jocelyn were co-workers and had made plans to meet up the night before, Wednesday the 19th. Marcy and Jocelyn's last communication was just before 7.30 p.m. Jocelyn had sent her a text asking, 
are you there? Marcy responded with a Y, with just the letter Y. Like for yes. Yeah. When she did not hear back from Jocelyn, Marcy texted her, yes, I'm here. Still no reply, which was unusual. Jocelyn always returned texts promptly. Hmm. So she wasn't like me. No. No, I apologize to my friends who are listening. I'm taking this opportunity to apologize. You should respond immediately. <gasps> you don't like it when I don't respond. I know. I always think you're dead. Yeah. Or mad. Or mad. <laughs> are you mad at me? <laughs> you're not responding. I'm like, I'm driving. <laughs> Around 8.30 p.m., Marcy sent Jocelyn an email asking if her text messaging was not working. There was no answer. Uh-huh. Ten minutes later, Marcy left her home and drove to CVS, leaving her husband and son at her home. Still expecting to meet up with Jocelyn that night. She completed her purchase at 9.08 and texted Jocelyn again. Still no response. Thinking she would not be seeing Jocelyn that night, Marcy drove to their office building to drop off the large Christmas present she had in her back seat for Jocelyn. Afraid the large box wrapped in Christmas paper would make her kids too excited if they saw it in the back of the car. Yeah. Which I totally understand. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. By 9.30 p.m., Marcy was back in her car after dropping off the gift on Jocelyn's desk. She still hadn't heard from Jocelyn, which was very strange because they talked a lot during the day and at night. These two were in constant communication with one another. Probably, especially post-separation and divorce. Right. That they're kind of like relying on each other to kind of talk themselves through the day. That was her go-to person was Marcy. Yeah, absolutely. Marcy decided to drive to Jocelyn's house to check on her. As Marcy pulled up to the home, she noticed Jocelyn's green Honda parked in the driveway. The outside light was on, and only one low-wattage light was dimly lit inside. Hmm. Marcy was worried, so she got out of her car and walked up to the front door and knocked. No answer. And she did not hear Rufus bark. So even though he was in the back, still in his kennel, he didn't bark? No, he didn't bark. That's weird. She does not remember him barking. Most dogs would. Oh, yeah, our dog would go nuts. Yeah. Marcy got back in her car and drove home. She texted Jocelyn as soon as she got home, telling her that she was worried and to call her. But there was still no response. When Marcy awoke around 7 a.m., she still had not received a message from Jocelyn. By 11.30 that afternoon, Jocelyn had still not shown up for work or called. So Marcy headed back over to her house. Now, Marcy was on Christmas break with her children, so she was not actually at the office. But she had alerted the office to what was happening. So a little before 1130, she called the office to see if Jocelyn had shown up, and she hadn't. Okay. So everyone was worried at this point. Gotcha. Jocelyn's car was still in the same spot on the driveway, just like the night before. Once again, Marcy went to the front door and knocked. No answer. She then banged on the door with her fist. Still no answer. And the dog still did not bark. She still didn't hear Rufus. Hmm. 
She walked around the home, knocking on all the windows and trying to peer inside, but all the shades were drawn. Remembering that Jocelyn kept a spare key in the shed, Marcy eventually found it and ran back to the front door. It didn't work. She ran to the back door, and this time it worked. Marcy swung the door open and was hit with a blast of heat, enough to fog up her glasses. Once she could see again, she spotted Jocelyn lying on the floor, and she called 911. Okay, gotcha. So it would take a while for a house to get really hot like that, especially if it's cold outside. So this had to have happened So yeah, so it many probably, hours before. And thermostats, I don't think you can turn them. I mean, it depends on the thermostat, but typically you can't set it for 120. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Eventually it's going to stop heating up. They said this one was at 90 degrees and the house felt like it was 90 degrees. Yeah. So it would take a while, but if it's really cold outside, I mean- Basically, the heater is just running nonstop. Imagine getting that. And then the poor, the poor dog's probably so hot that it just couldn't bark. Poor Rufus. Yeah, and he didn't have any water or anything. Yeah, that's probably why he didn't bark. Yeah. Marcy told the investigators that Jocelyn had not been dating anyone at the time. Marcy was asked why she had been so desperate to hear from Jocelyn. She told the investigators that Jocelyn and everyone around her feared her ex-husband. When asked who she thought could have hurt Jocelyn, Marcy told them Wesley Ernest did it. Wow. They're 100%. They were not fans of Wesley. Not at all. Wes and Jocelyn met in 1991 outside of a calculus class while they were both attending West Virginia University. Nice. Smart. (laughs) Jocelyn was 22 and Wes was 21. Jocelyn was originally from Morgantown, West Virginia. She was smart, sweet, and an incredible athlete. Jocelyn played tennis, volleyball, softball, and basketball, not including earning her black belt in karate. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. This girl. Dang. This girl was one of those, like, super rad girls. Yeah. Yeah. Those of you from the 80s, you know what a rad girl is for sure. It's Jocelyn. It's Jocelyn. Yeah, rad. During her senior year of high school, Jocelyn was captain of her basketball team and scored an average of 29 points every game. Wow. She was also an all-state honorable mention. Sure. Oh, my gosh, this girl. I would have loved to have watched her play. At West Virginia University, Jocelyn made the Mountaineer women's basketball team and played from 1989 to 1992. Wes was born in Los Angeles but moved to West Virginia when he was five years old. He was also a big basketball player. He was a sporty kind of guy too. Cool. And actually their first date was spent on the basketball court. They went and played basketball. For a date? For their date. Mm-hmm. They didn't go to Red Lobster like us. No. That's probably good. They started off their relationship exercising. We started off our relationship eating. And we've continued. Red Lobster sounds good right now. Let's go. Soon the duo were dating. They became that couple on campus. Sure. They were nice to look at, but they seemed to be polar opposites. Jocelyn was non-confrontational and easygoing, whereas Wes was aggressive and like to pick fights often. Oh, those are always the best people. Yeah, especially with Jocelyn. 
Early on in the relationship, Jocelyn had some concerns about Wesley. He was controlling, manipulative, and had anger issues. Those are three red flags. It's a lot of flags that are red. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones that you just run. Like you don't even walk away. Yeah. You run your happy little butt away from that but person. Maybe, but maybe she wanted to believe that it would change. Yeah. Maybe he said all the right things behind closed doors. Probably. Jocelyn had broken off the relationship a couple of times, but would take Wes back after he would threaten to hurt himself. What? Red flag number four. Oh, my gosh. He would say things like he wasn't going to pull the parachute cord while he was skydiving if she didn't get back to him. He skydived. He did. He was one of those guys. Look at him. Yeah. So then she would take him back. Oh, well, if you're going to kill yourself, I guess I should be with you. Right. Jocelyn graduated from West Virginia University with a double major in economics and marketing. Wow. While Wes graduated with a degree in mathematics, he wanted to be a math teacher and a basketball coach. Okay. After graduation, Wes got a job in Bedford, Virginia. The couple spent three years living long distance and eventually married on August 19th, 1995. So they did it. They got married. Ah, the old mid-90s. After marrying, both decided to go back to school to earn their master's degree. Jocelyn earned hers in business administration and eventually won a position with General Electric Capital Corporation. Nice. West earned his master's in education and an eventual PhD in administration supervision with finance and technology minors. After this, West insisted on being called Dr. Ernest. Yeah, I Ernest don't know. scared stupid. I t- I think if you're not a medical doctor, I don't know. The doctor, because if you hear, oh, let me introduce you to my friend, Dr. Smith. Right. You automatically assume MD. Yeah. And you automatically pull down your pants to show him a mole on your butt. And he's like, no, 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 no. no. Yes. I have my PhD in finance or administration supervision, not in mole care. Right. Imagine being on a plane and they're like, is there a doctor around? Is there a doctor? I'm Dr. Ernest. I'm Dr. Ernest. They're like, okay, this guy, he seems to be having a heart attack. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. I'm just a doctor of administration supervision. <laughs> Which, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, sorry, you cannot sure, do CPR. <laughs> I'm sure someone, that's amazing, you know, but what is administ? Well, never mind. I, yeah, he wanted to be a principal of a school. I'm going to help with people who help supervise other people. With finance and technology. With finance and technology. <laughs> so that's a lot of separation there. During this time, Wes decided that it was time to join a church. Sure. Somehow he made his way into the Jehovah's Witness faith. Wow. I wonder that's if someone came I to would... the door. Probably. Yeah. I wonder how, if he was just home alone. How else? Someone came to the you, door. Yeah. How else do you do that? I guess you have to be open to it. Yeah. Right? You have to be open to it. Just like becoming a Scientologist or I'm not making fun of Mormon or, you know, becoming a Mormon, even though you weren't raised in the Mormon faith. That's true. Most, I would assume most Jehovah's Witnesses are Jehovah's Witness because they're family or they marry someone or yeah. all the above. Just like Mormon. You think right. that people grow up in the Mormon church. You don't become a Mormon when you're in your 20s. Yeah. Unless you're going to marry a Mormon. I mean, I don't know how that works. So I don't, I don't either. But good for you. You don't ever know until you ask. Exactly. So knock, keep knocking on those doors. Yeah. 
Everyone who knew Wes was surprised, including Jocelyn. That, well, it's he an just interesting kind of started thing. it. It's a very interesting thing to just start, especially post-marriage. Right. I could see if leading up to it, like you meet a girl and she's awesome. And then she goes, yeah, so I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And technically, we're not supposed to date because I'm only supposed to be dating someone who's Jehovah's Witness, which or that is somebody who's very, in my face. Yeah, that is pretty typical. But to do that after they're married, that's interesting. And that they didn't do it together. You would think they would have that discussion like, hey, so we're both kind of non-denominational. We don't really have a faith. We're not agnostic, but we don't follow anything. Mm-hmm. Let's pick one. Right? <laughs> yeah. I could see that even. But right. for him to just go, Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> and she's like, uh, what? 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 Where the hell did this come from? <laughs> so Jocelyn decided that the faith was not for her. But she did do her best to accompany Wes to functions like picnics and things like that. Is that a Jehovah's Witness thing? I guess so. But she never went to services. She'd go to all the other stuff. And she celebrated holidays alone or with her family because Jehovah's Witness don't celebrate holidays. Or birthdays. Mm -hmm. So she ended up doing a lot of things without Wesley, just like he ended up doing a lot of things without her. It's brilliant. Because think of all the money they save. They're probably smarter than us. Right? Uh-huh. Maybe we should become Jehovah's Witness. Um, we'll talk about that off the air. Okay. All okay. Right. Jocelyn loved children but decided that she did not want to have kids with Wes. Ooh. Okay. Red flag. Red flag number yeah. five. We're all the way up to five. That's a lot of flags. Insisting that he wear a condom Ooh, during okay. each aerobics class. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She did not leave it up to fate. She did not leave it up to the moon cycle. Nope. Or the pullout method. She said, put on your rain jacket. Exactly. By the year 2000, Wesley was working at Heritage High School in the Lynchburg City School System. The Ernest had a bit more money coming in and decided they wanted to buy a piece of property along Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia. Sounds glorious. It would be feasible, but tight. But Jocelyn wanted Wes to have his dream. Oh, God. Here we go. His dream was to own a home on Smith Mountain Lake. Okay, but they didn't buy a home. They bought a piece of property. They bought a piece of property, yes. All right. This is where it all goes down. But if you did have a home in that area, it meant that you had made it. It was kind of a place of status in this beautiful vacation area. So it's all image. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because you could buy a big old huge house and it could be empty and yeah. you could be paycheck to paycheck just barely making the mortgage. It doesn't mean crap. No, it doesn't. Absolutely. And only in this case, they didn't even have a house yet. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably getting ahead, so I'll stop. <laughs> Carry in on. In 2001, they purchased a two-acre piece of property nestled in the forested shoreline. Nice. Sounds it was beautiful. gorgeous. Yeah, it's a gorgeous area. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Mortgage rates were still high in 2001, <laughs> though. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> Jocelyn wanted a nice, quaint, rustic cabin-type home, but Wes wanted something elegant and grand. Sure. A home that was bigger and more beautiful than any cabin around them. A McMansion. Something they could show off. There it is. Or something he could show off. And he got it. They built this really lovely mega home with seven bedrooms. What? Each one with a view of the lake. 
and six and a half bathrooms. In case you have diarrhea all the time. Yeah. A huge deck and a three-boat dock. Okay, all right. And they had like a game room and a huge living room and kitchen. Can can you remind me what they do? So this is 2001. Yes. Space Odyssey. So she works for that financial company. Okay. And he is working at Heritage High School. So he's a teacher. At this time, he's a teacher and a coach. So I don't make that much money then. I can't think, right? Well, they didn't have kids. And they were actually pretty good with their money around this time. right, I guess. So they kind of made it work. Still, though, a seven-bedroom, we'll call it seven-bath house with a dock on a lake on two acres. It it was gorgeous. Even in Circus 2001. When Daniel says circus, I hope you guys know he's saying circa. Circa. But he says circus because he thinks it's funny. funny. I'll stop saying it. No, don't stop saying it. I just don't want people to think that you're an idiot. Well, I am, but I'm being funny with Circa. (laughs) Yeah, so they had this huge house. Well, good for them. (laughs) Good for you. They can just roam around the big old house with condoms. But at the time that they were building this house, Mm -hmm. Wesley took over complete control of the couple's finances and put Jocelyn on a strict budget. Good job. To you where don't, she you was, don't let that woman do anything without your control. She was only allowed to shop at Goodwill. What? Unless it came what? to the new house. Yes. Are uh-huh. you serious? I am. But I love me a good Goodwill, well, so. Yeah, but seven bedrooms, seven bath uh, house, yes, two acres a on a lake. Yes. Oh, and we don't have any money, so you got to shop at Goodwill. I know. It doesn't what? make any sense. I know. All right. Whatever. In 2001, Wes became assistant principal at the high school in Lynchburg. Which made him even more controlling and manipulative. Oh, he sounds just like a peach. Doesn't he sound fabulous? So Wes was kind of peacocking it during this time, okay? He thought sure. he was just this hot piece of man. He's an okay? assistant principal. I know, but he thought he had made it as um, assistant principal. Okay. And he even made a comment about Jocelyn in front of her friends that her wedding ring gave him access to her body 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, Yeah. So if one of our friends told us that or yeah. me that, I'd be like, uh, dude, you're an asshole. <laughs> like, you are a liar because she didn't smack you. <laughs> well, what a thing and then, to say, though. I right? know. Like, I know. And in brag? front of Jocelyn. And why, would, and why do you think, even if that were 100% true, Right. He gave her a gorgeous ring and she goes, oh, my gosh, I love the ring. You can have me anytime you want. Uh, I promise you can have me anytime you want. That only lasts Even a if months. that were true. Mm-hmm. Why the hell would he tell his friends that? Because they don't want to hear dick. that. No, zero people want to no, hear that. No, nobody wants to hear that. No. And I kind of just, God, I and just if it wish were somebody would have kicked him in the balls. If it were really true, I really wouldn't want to hear it. And would you ever want to hang out with him again? No. No. No, because he's a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. He's a pompous prick. So Jocelyn's response to him was, if that's what you want, you better look elsewhere. Nice. Get it, girl. There it is. Boom. She was done. I gave the ring back. Yeah, throw it in his face. Actually, no. Sell it. It's probably fake. Sell it on eBay. Yeah. By 2004... Wes was spending more and more time at the partially completed house on Smith Mountain Lake, 
which was about an hour away from where they were living. So it took a while for the house to be built. Obviously, they're living basically paycheck to paycheck and trying to pay for the construction of this home. So it took a little while to build the home. But once there was even a little area that he could live in, he was there constantly. So he was like trying to live out his fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big, big houses, big custom houses usually ruin marriages. They do. I I guarantee you that's a factoid if I started doing some research. Because what happens is it just causes so much drama. Uh And it, it always costs more than you think. Right. And usually people do it because they think it'll... I don't know, make it's them happier. It's a project. We're going to do a project yeah, together. And it just bl- gets blown way out of yeah. proportion and huge and all that stuff. And yeah. then you're broke. And then you're blaming you get the other person. Right. So just paint anyway. a wall in the house that you live in. Do that as a project. Don't build a brand new house. Go rent a big old giant house that you want for a couple of weekends or something. Yeah. So obviously, we're all in agreement that this marriage is in a total tailspin, right? I could see that. Sure. And I'm sure there was very little to no intimacy taking place between these two people. So not 24-7. No. Gotcha. No. So Wes took Jocelyn's statement to heart and went looking for some lovin' somewhere else. Sure. In the spring of 2004, Wes met a woman by the name of Shamika Wright. Okay. She was a clerk at the local Big Lots. <laughs> I love Big Lots. She was a few years younger than Wesley, and she really liked him. So he was doing his part. He was shopping at Big Lots while Jocelyn was shopping at Goodwill. Yeah, that's true. So they were doing their part. They were trying to scale back on cost of living and expenses. Yeah, that's true because it kind of goes Goodwill, Big Lots, Walmart, Ross. Target. Oh, you got Ross in there, TJ Maxx. We, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. People are going to be like, I really like Big Lots. I'm going to be like, I like Big Lots too. Most no, of no, no, our kitchen stuff is from Big Lots. It's fine. It's just that he's shopping at Big Lots. She's shopping at Goodwill. So they're doing they're their building part. a mansion. Yes. That's the funny part. Okay, I get it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the two began traveling together and spending weekends at the cabin regularly. Sure. By the summer of 2005, Wes and Shamika's relationship turned long distance when Wesley accepted an an assistant principal position in Chesapeake, which we were just in Chesapeake last week. (laughs) So if he's so educated and has all of these things like certificates Uh and PhDs and this and that, the best he can do is an assistant principal? I think you have to have enough years under your belt to become a principal. Yeah. I think it takes a while, especially if you want to do high school. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. I wonder, what do you think it pays? What do you think assistant principal pays? In Virginia? I don't know. Yeah, in the early oh, 2000s? God. I don't. I could not even guess. I have no idea. I'm just curious. So I got, you know. Trying to put all these numbers together yeah. in my head. Go, all right. I know. You're a numbers guy. I like it. Okay. I can count as high as fingers and toes. So <laughs> 20 or 10 plus 10. So Wesley moved to Chesapeake and Shamika moved to Concord, Virginia for a new county government job. And then she went back to school to earn her doctorate. Man, there's just doctors all over the place. So they were long distance too. Okay. So there were three people in this relationship. 
and they all lived within hours of each other, not minutes. Gotcha. The couple still made it a point to see each other every weekend. So they would drive five hours to see each other every weekend. And they would sometimes would meet at the cabin, which was a little bit of a shorter drive for both of them. Okay. But they're also trying to support another household where they're actually living, meaning Not, Jocelyn and, and Wesley. Yeah, right? meaning Jocelyn and Wesley. But I'm yeah. talking about Wesley and Shamika. No, I get it. I get okay. it. But they're living somewhere while he's building this home. So this isn't right. their primary residence, right? But I think that Jocelyn actually made more than Wesley. I think she was doing very well at her job. But he was still taking all the money and handling it. Yes. He was still in charge of their finances as a couple. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you knew or suspected that I had a girlfriend on the side Mm -hmm. while we're building a house, would you still allow me to control the finances? No, but Jocelyn didn't know about this. Okay. All right. Is what people Okay, but if he's not doing it with her, he's doing it with somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> I right? Know. Well, Jocelyn did not move with Wesley to Chesapeake. They okay. were long distance as well. So they were about four hours away from one another. Where So Wesley was in Chesapeake and Jocelyn was in Forest, Virginia. They're still in Virginia, but they're hours away from each other. Is that a bird? Mm-hmm. It's really annoying. Ugh. Jocelyn was oblivious to Wesley's cheating ways for a long while until one weekend when she met him at the cabin and found strange hairs in their bed and in the bathtub. Wesley told her that they must have been the cleaning ladies. So they had a cleaning lady too. Okay. Oh my gosh. Gosh, I'm I'm so jealous. I'm getting upset. I know. So they have to shop. (laughs) <laughs> at discount stores. We'll just say discount <laughs> stores, right? Right. To try and save pinch pennies wherever possible. Yes. How the hell does he afford a cleaning lady for a house that's not even done yet? They haven't even started living in it officially and making messes in it. I think it was completed by this time. Okay. But no, I get where you're going but, with But this. they're not living in it. They're so not living in it. Seven bedroom, seven bath house right. on the lake that they're not living in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jocelyn did not believe him about the hairs, but she wanted to save their marriage. Oh, God. Why? But why? Yeah, what the hell for? If you don't want to be in the same religion as this guy, you don't want to have kids with him, you don't want to move with him to his job in Chesapeake, you really don't want to be with this guy. So why? Why yeah, are you still doing it? You know it? he's a prick. You, uh, she obviously didn't want to have sex with him. Right? So what's no. left? What's the point? There's no point. What's the exit strategy? Poor Jocelyn. She didn't have an exit strategy. What's their retirement plan? <laughs> Actually, she does have an exit strategy. Oh. All right. Here we go. Oh, good. All right. Wesley refused to start seeing a marriage counselor, so Jocelyn went by herself. And that's when she began journaling. So all those journals that were found in her closet. That's why. Okay. Over the 4th of July weekend in 2005... Jocelyn and her sister decided to drive out to the cabin. As they pulled in across the shoreline, they noticed that lights were on in the house. Soon they saw Wesley and Shamika out on the deck. They began dancing. Shamika and Wesley began dancing with candles and wine and, you know, super sexy. I hope they videoed it and then immediately left and she went and got a divorce attorney. Jocelyn's watching this happen with her sister. 
She told her sister that she was only 70% sure that she wanted to leave Wes. And they turned around and went back home. All right. I don't feel bad for her anymore. She's an idiot. Oh, stop. What the? Okay. At what point do you go? Okay. There's clearly this is over. Okay. You can't say you don't feel bad for her because she is not with us anymore. Yeah, but. Okay. But let me. She had to know. Okay. But let's, let me get further into this. Okay. All during this time, as they were leading separate lives, Wes was dangling Jocelyn. He would send her emails asking her out and flirt with her. So he was basically leading on his wife. And then Jocelyn would say that she wasn't ready to give up yet. So she wanted to believe that there was something still there. Yes. She wanted to believe that the person that she fell in love with was still the same person that she was married to. And she didn't want to believe that all this was a waste. Exactly. That's mostly it. Jocelyn met Marcy in the summer of 2005 when she was hired as a training leader at Genworth Financial. The two women spent a lot of time together and would occasionally go out for drinks after work. And they even began working out together. Okay. Okay? Now, Marcy's the one that found Jocelyn's body. Gotcha. By October, Marcy had fallen in love with Jocelyn. Oh, okay. There it is. Asking her in a telephone call... If I kissed you, would you kiss me back? I think that's the title to a song. If it isn't, it should be. I kissed a girl and I liked it. <laughs> if I, you mean that song? No, I'm joking. That's a great song. But if there was a song called If I Kissed You, Would You Kiss Me Back? That would be a country like a, song. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of a truck on the front of it. and <laughs> With and, flowers spilling out the back. And a couple sitting on the tailgate of the truck looking <laughs> at each other. Yeah. A few weeks later, after a Genworth Christmas party, Marcy gave Jocelyn a ride home. Oh, boy. Jocelyn invited her in, and the two ended up kissing on the couch. There it is. Both women decided that it was not a good idea to get involved, especially because both of them were still married. Uh-huh. And Marcy had children. So that part of their relationship never went any further than that. Okay, so both these women have. Obviously, failing or failed marriages, Mm -hmm. but they are not divorced. They're not divorced. I don't know so much about Marcy's marriage. I just know that there was something about Jocelyn that she was was, immediately attracted to. Right, but it was obviously not working out very well between she and her husband. Yes. Enough that she would rather be with her good friend. I mean, she Mm -hmm. has kids and a husband, so... But soon after that kiss, Mm -hmm. Jocelyn officially separated from Wesley. Oh. Yeah. That kiss sealed the deal. But she still did not want to file for divorce, but they separated. Okay. Okay. In March of 2006, Jocelyn asked a friend of hers to accompany her to the lake house. It was evening when they arrived, and they noticed two cars in the driveway. One being Wesley's. So I'm thinking Jocelyn never really knew where Wesley was. But at this point, they're separated. At this point, they're separated. So, so yes, yeah, she wouldn't know where he was. Yeah. But when she saw Shamika and Wesley dancing on the porch or the big deck, she just happened to show up and he happened to be there. Right. So I don't think they communicate. There was no communication in this relationship. They're both. She's very good at finance, which means she's very good at math. So she can add. (laughs) She can 
do the numbers in her head. If she just happened to catch him, he and Shamika, then they probably go there a lot, right? Yes, they did go there a lot. Meaning Mm -hmm. mathematically, it's very likely that it happens a lot if she just happened to catch him there. Yeah. Now the window shades were up. Okay. And Jocelyn and her friend watched Wesley and Shamika getting ready for bed. Oh, there it is. So they watched Wesley brush his teeth, and then all of a sudden he looks down where the bathtub is, and he helps a woman out of the bathtub and gives her a towel, and, you know, they're doing their whole bedtime routine, right? Sure, I guess. Is that what happens? And then they watch them walk to the bed. Sure. And watch them knock into boots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Watching her soon-to-be ex-husband so it was very, nail in some other It chick. was very much whose yeah. who's bed have your boots been under? Yes. Okay. And I'm hoping it was missionary style, just something really boring. And no, she wasn't not... sitting there watching him, like, just, you know, slap her butt and just go to town on her. Yeah, but he's Jehovah's Witness, so I don't know. <laughs> what does that have to well, do with I don't it? know. I don't know what... <laughs> missionaries and uh, oh with the missionary yeah you're not right sure what they uh-huh. do or not jocelyn watching this act go on in front of her in her house in her house technically it's still her house too she finally became angry now she's angry and went to the bedroom window and started banging on the bedroom window <laughs> gross wow that'll cause yeah. things to stop working quickly <laughs> and she goes I see you, Wesley Ernest. How's it going? Having fun? She shouted at them. Okay, but she separated from him. I know. She was so, just pissed. Is this a surprise? Well, I, mean, I think she finally just put it all together. I don't know what the conditions are of a separation. Are you expecting the other person to be celibate? God, no. Because obviously he wasn't even when they were together. No. I mean. I think it was finally in front of her face. She was watching him. Literally. Pound another chick. Okay. Yeah. All right. The two women ran back to the car and drove away. And Jocelyn was finally done. That was the last straw. So in June, Jocelyn filed for divorce. She cited adultery, alleged cruelty, desertion, and a separation for more than one year since they had been separated since 2004. Okay. Wesley filed a motion of relief requesting that he be granted exclusive use of the lake house, that Jocelyn provided temporary spousal support, and that she paid half the mortgage to the lake house every month, and that $100,000 was deposited into an escrow account for the loan that they still owed Wesley's father for a down payment on a rental property. What? Yeah. Jocelyn refused to grant Wesley his way and objected. She wanted the lake house sold. Sure. And refused to talk directly to Wesley any longer. From now on, all communication between them was done through their lawyers. So she finally grew some balls. Yeah. Like she was done. And she knew how to play. She came to play and she did. Okay. With big balls. Yeah. In November of 2006, Jocelyn returned home and noticed that her house was freezing. The thermostat had been turned off. The pipe to the gas fireplace had been cut. Also missing was a bike, a shotgun, a camera, financial papers, $1,000 in change. That's a lot of of nickels. A computer, a safe, fishing gear, and some of her clothes. And some sentimental items were taken that had been given to her by friends and family, 
and three of her journals. Wow. And she was most upset about the sentimental items, obviously, and her journals. Because in her journals, she had written out how she was going to go after Wesley for certain things during the divorce. Mm. And what she and her attorney had talked about. Don't people, don't they suspect or think about worst case scenario in this situation? She obviously knows this is going to be a really ugly divorce. That's why she was writing everything down. But I mean... You mean to maybe defend her home and property more than what she was? Yeah, like hide stuff, move so that he doesn't know where you live. Well, he had moved four hours away. So she was probably thinking, what is he going to do? He lives four hours away, four or five hours away. He'll drive there. He's going to be crazy, especially if she has more money than he does. Anyway, sorry. Well, Wesley said that he had not taken anything out of the home, but that he had hired professional movers to retrieve his items. But they wouldn't do that. Professional movers would not go into a home and start removing items. With him there? This... He would have to be there. But no, he wasn't there. He just yeah, told them what to get. I need you get. to take this shotgun, right. this journal. But wouldn't they need consent from the person living know. in the home? I mean, if he had the keys and just called them, they would just probably make an assumption. Yeah, but I don't think they can do that. I don't know. Well, Jocelyn was now frightened. Uh, Yeah. Her therapist told her to prepare go bags. Her therapist? Her therapist. I think the lawyer would be all over this. No, it was her therapist. So go Mm. bags are like a change of clothes, documents, money, all those kind of things that you need. So she would keep a go bag in her car. At her office. I think she kept one at Marcy's house. Okay. So she was preparing for whatever he was going to throw at her. Okay. On December 5th, 2006, Wesley and Jocelyn were in divorce court. The judge ruled against Wesley's request for spouse's support, and Jocelyn was only to pay 25% of the lake house mortgage every month. <laughs> Late one night at the end of February in 2007, Wes showed up at Jocelyn's home. She saw him through the window and saw her front doorknob turning. Why didn't she change the locks? She had. He couldn't get into the home, but he was trying to see if the doors were unlocked. So he was trying to get in. Jocelyn turned off all her lights and she hid. She then called a friend and this friend rushed over to Jocelyn's house. Now, this friend knew Wesley very well. They were like couples friends. Okay. So when the friend arrived, the house and the street were quiet. She didn't see anything or hear anything. So she walks up to the front door, and as she turned the knob, Wesley stepped out of the shadows only two feet away from her. Oh, that's creepy. She should have called the police. And he was dressed in all black and was carrying a satchel. Over his soldier, which reminded me of like Indiana Jones. Shoulder. Shoulder. What did I say? Soldier. soldier? Yeah. Okay. Shoulder like Indiana Jones. If she had called the police and they showed up and they found him and then found out that there's a contentious divorce and he's mm-hmm. wearing all black with a bag, that would look really bad for him. Oh, absolutely. Because then you'd go back to court with lawyers and go, uh, yeah, I not only want everything, I want a restraining order. Right. 
mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And actually, she would just right then file for a restraining order because he's stalking her. Right. And was attempting to break into the house. Yeah. The, I don't right? know why she didn't call the police. Why would you call a friend? I don't know. Call the police. I don't know. Oh, my God. Anyway, all right. I'm already. So he, he told this friend that he was just there to talk to Jocelyn. So for nearly three hours, Wesley talked to this friend and had her write down all of his grievances to give to Jocelyn. And then this friend ended up going inside and giving Jocelyn this piece of paper with all of Wesley's grievances. It was so stupid. On June 15, 2007, the lake house was put up for sale for over $2 million. Okay. That property was the last thing tying Wesley and Jocelyn together. Jocelyn's body was taken to the medical examiner's office in Roanoke, Virginia. Jocelyn did not have blood splatter on her hands, nor was there any gunshot residue. She also did not have any foreign material under her fingernails. Okay. Which means she did not shoot that gun. Of course not. A fragment of the bullet was found in Jocelyn's clothing. It was determined that the bullet's entry point was right above and slightly behind her ear and exited through the left temple at the corner of her eye. She had been shot from behind. The entry point was not a contact wound. The gun was at least two inches to two feet away from her head, which does not happen in suicides. The gun in a suicide is pushed up against the head so that they won't miss. Right. So there's a contact point. So someone was waiting Mm. for her. Jocelyn's death was instantaneous, and she could not have moved on her own. So she could not have moved her own body. someone snuck up behind her and shot her, Mm -hmm. basically. The next day, more bullet fragments were found in the living room. The Smith & Wesson 357 was analyzed. It was missing two rounds, but a second bullet was never found. And there were zero fingerprints on the gun or the bullet. Okay. So all the fragments that they found in the living room was from one bullet, not two. Gotcha. And this gun was registered in Wesley's name. Okay. But there were two partial prints found on the suicide letter. That's weird because... And they weren't Jocelyn's fingerprints. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's no prints on the gun, but there's prints on the letter. Right. Okay. So you might be asking yourself, where was Wesley during all of this? Yeah, where the hell's Wesley? Yeah. Around 6 p.m., two days after Jocelyn's body was found, Wes was brought in for an interview with investigators, along with his attorney. Of course. You know. Wes was 37 years old. Six feet, four inches tall, trim, gangly, with dark hair. He's a tall guy. Yeah, he's really tall. He said he had heard about Jocelyn's death just the day before from his girlfriend's mother. Wes told the investigators that on Wednesday, December 19th, the day Jocelyn died, he just went home after work, took a nap, and then after he woke up, he left his house to get some dinner. He then went home and went back to bed. Because he had to be at work the next morning in Chesapeake, which is almost four hours from Jocelyn's home in Forest. But Wes didn't talk to anybody. Of course not. Yeah, not even his girlfriend. When asked about Jocelyn, Wes said that she was the greatest person and a great athlete. 
And he admitted to breaking her heart. Oh, well, that was nice of him. Well, an investigator asked him, if Jocelyn was so great, then why did you go out with other people? Right. (laughs) Why were you having an affair? Wes's response was that Jocelyn was okay with that. She told him to go sleep with other women. Um, Sure, Wes. Even if she was okay with it, why would you want to? Mm. Right? If she's so great, why would you even think about it? Why wouldn't you woo her back into the bedroom? Right. Like, that's just a thing. Like, well, if she says it's okay, then I'm automatically going to go out and do it. Well, he also said that he believed that Jocelyn had shot herself. But Wesley was the only one to voice that he thought that it was possible that she killed herself. Why would she kill herself? Of a broken heart? I don't know. Uh, Sure. Wesley admitted to purchasing the 357 for Jocelyn, buying it as a present for her. For her protection. Hmm. What a nice guy. Sure. Wesley agreed to provide a DNA sample and fingerprints, but refused a polygraph exam. Okay. Yes. Always refuse a polygraph exam. Sorry. Investigators asked Wes one last question. What kind of vehicle do you own? Because he had driven up to the station in a truck, but they needed to know if he had any other forms of transportation. Wesley said, no, that's not my truck. I borrowed it from a co-worker. Why? So the car he shows up in was not his. Hmm. Okay. Weird. Jocelyn's 17 spiral notebooks were analyzed. Every page was filled with her thoughts and her worries and the happy times and the bad times. In August of 2005, Jocelyn wrote that she was becoming more fearful of Wesley and that if she were ever found dead, quote unquote, know that he killed me because I would never kill myself. My guess is he shot me and then killed himself. This was what she wrote. Wow. She also wrote, if I die, Wesley killed me and he probably shot me. She wrote that again. she really thinks that, that's a horrible state of mind. Right. Analysts and investigators realized that the wording and style found in the journals were not written in the same style as the suicide letter. Mm -hmm. So there was really no emotion in the suicide letter, but there was all this emotion in her journals. If you suspected that there was a chance that your husband was going to kill you with a gun, mm-hmm. don't you think you would move like a thousand miles away? Probably, but she had such a great network of family and friends that she didn't want to leave that. But there's a guy out there that she thinks there's a chance know, could kill her but with he a also, gun? He also lived over four hours away That's or just far four enough. hours away. I don't know, Daniel. I Another just know, country would be barely far enough I just away. know that she was very vocal about her fear of Wesley, and that's why her friends always were trying to rally around her to help her. Again, with the friends that came to the door and found him sitting outside her door in the dark. And never called 911. And then she's probably voiced that she fears Wesley. They wouldn't put that together and go, um, something is very wrong here. No, I get where you're going. Okay. I just know that she loved her friends. No, I get it. All right. And did not want to leave them or her family that lives in the area. But if she gets dead, then she's leaving them. I, okay. I know. 
I know. The timeline on the butcher paper was closely looked at. There were two different handwriting styles. The style that did not match the handwriting in the notebooks were in red, and the statements were all positive about Wesley. <laughs> so he <laughs> so went in, he went in an and, and edited for his own <laughs> uh, yes. benefit? So one entry in 1996 said, kept telling Wes to sleep with someone else and come home to me. He's one year later. Oh my God. Okay, one year later on this timeline paper, kept telling Wes, I don't want to be with you sexually. Okay, and then in 1998 on this timeline, it says, It's okay. Wes took care of me as always. Oh my God. And then three years later, it said, Very understanding husband with me spending late nights at work. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Wesley, you're an idiot, dude. And then the timeline starts blaming Jocelyn for everything. So it says in 2005 on the timeline, Wes kept trying to talk to me, but I just kept shutting him out. (laughs) Wes wants another chance to make it work, but finds it highly unlikely because my family has too much influence and never fully embraced Wes. And Wes's mother has been left out of the loop. This guy really thinks he's smart. He huh? does. He absolutely really thinks he's smart. He has he's, a giant head on his shoulders. And he's dumber than a pile of rocks, man. <sighs> so much for all okay. those PhDs and such. But guess what? What? The fingerprint analysis came back, and guess whose partial prints were on the suicide note? Whose? Wes. Well, yeah, of course. (laughs) The suicide note was analyzed by two different experts. Both agreed they were Wesley's. So there's the forensic evidence tying Wesley to the scene, right? Yeah. There's the evidence. But are you ready for a big piece of circumstantial evidence? Sure. The co-worker who lent Wesley his truck was questioned. He said that Wesley had borrowed the maroon Chevy Silverado to move some belongings and furniture from Monday, December 17th, to the morning of the 20th. The day Jocelyn's body was discovered was on the 20th. The car came back cleaned, and Wes apologized because there were bleach spots on the floor mats. Oh, boy. Wesley borrowed the co-worker's truck again on January 10th, 2008. The truck was returned the next day with brand new tires. Wesley had said that he had accidentally run over a board with exposed nails and popped the two front tires. And he had gotten such a good deal on four tires that he replaced all the tires as a thank you to his co-worker. Hmm. But these were really crappy tires, so the co-worker was pissed. Because he had really nice tires. Oh, gotcha. Yes. And so the guy didn't even notice it at first. And then he was driving it. And he was like, what the hell is, what, what's going on with my car? It was driving all funky. And then he realized that he had new tires on his car. Huh. Yeah. So the tire shop was questioned. And it turned out the two front tires were just fine when Wesley had brought the truck in. He was remembered because Wesley kind of threw a fit because the tire guy kept telling him that the tires were in great condition and didn't need to be changed. They were perfectly fine. But Wesley insisted 
So they changed them, and he paid them $688 in cash for four crappy tires. That's kind of a lot for four crappy tires. So they believe that Wesley changed the tires because of the possible tire marks around the property at Jocelyn's home. I wonder if they could get the tires back that were taken Mm. off the truck. I didn't read anything about that, but that's a good idea. Yeah. At the end of February of 2008, only two months after Jocelyn was killed, Wesley Ernest was arrested and charged for her murder. Uh Search warrants were requested and authorized to search the lake house and Shamika's home. At Shamika's residence, they found the case that held the murder weapon, as well as the original box that the gun was purchased in. Ooh. At the lake house, they discovered the ownership papers for the murder weapon, documents with samples of Wesley's handwriting, and financial records relating to his level of debt. I was going to say, I bet he's just swimming in debt. Yes. It turned out that even though Jocelyn was required to pay 25% of the mortgage each month on the home by the lake, Wesley still had to come up with 75% of $6,000. He also owed more than $100,000 in credit card debt that he had accumulated since he and Jocelyn had separated. Oh, damn. Wesley was more than a million dollars in debt. Mm -hmm. Plus, the real estate bubble had burst, and the offers on the lake house weren't anywhere near what he was asking, which meant that it was a complete loss on his investment. Yep. Yep. Because 2005, four, five, six would have been the peak-ish. Yep. And eight, nine, ten was just a complete collapse. And this was in seven. Yep. On June 5th, Wesley made bail and was free for now. With what money? His dad. Oh, t- yeah. idiot. Yeah. On March 20th, 2009, the lake house caught on fire. <laughs> And burned to the ground. Are you serious? Oh, that's Mr. What are the chances, right? (laughs) The house was a total loss. Of course. The fire began in the great room where Wesley had been staining furniture. It was started by a slow fuse that lit the stained, soaked rags on fire. And it didn't take long for the house to be engulfed in flames. It happened to be perfect timing for Wesley, though, His dream house was about to be foreclosed on. Uh Wesley owing $990,000 on this house. The insurance on the property was about to run out in July. (laughs) It appeared to be arson. Okay. No. But no one was ever charged. The insurance company paid out over $1 million, which paid for the foreclosure and left Wesley with a little over $100,000. So the trial against Wesley Ernest for the murder of his wife, Jocelyn, began on March 23rd, 2010. So he was out for a while. A few weeks before the trial began, the judge ruled that Jocelyn's notebooks would not be allowed into evidence. It would violate Wes's constitutional right to confront an accuser. So the jury would never hear Jocelyn's words in court. Okay, so this is what the state believes happened. Jocelyn returned home around 7.30 p.m. on the night of Wednesday, December 19th. She walked in the front door, dropped her bag, turned off the alarm, and let the dog outside. 
Now, they believe that Wesley was hiding in the house. Probably. He confronted Jocelyn, and as she turned to run away, he shot her. She crumpled to the ground. Now, Wes tried to stage the scene to look like a suicide. So he straightened out her body and moved it two feet and then moved her head two to three times, they think. Uh-huh. And then he placed the gun on top of her coat. Wesley then put the dog back in his crate and turned the heater up to 90 degrees and then went around the house placing the condoms Oh, and okay. yeah, to right. kind of show evidence of a new love, which was written in the suicide letter. So, okay. So what do you think is the left. heater thing? Good okay. question, darling. It's very hard to figure out the timeline on a body that's been in the heat. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. It messes so it with the evidence. Okay. Yes. It messes gotcha. with the temperature and rigor mortis and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Believe it speeds it up. Well, I would, but I am not I would, a professional. Yeah, I would assume so. I just Absolutely. play one on TV. Or in our house. <laughs> now, the reasons for the bleach drops on the carpets of the truck he borrowed, they believe that it was from the gloves that Wesley was wearing. And then he had gotten some of her blood on the gloves when he was moving her head and stuff. And then he just threw the gloves on the carpet of the truck. Okay. All right. And then so there were little spots of blood. And so then he just took a little bit of bleach and bleached those spots out. Gotcha. And the only fingerprints on the note were Wesley's. I mean, that's a huge, <laughs> huge piece of evidence. Kind of hard to explain Because he wasn't supposed to be in the house. Right. The revolver that killed Jocelyn belonged to Wesley. And that the box that held the gun that killed Jocelyn was found at his girlfriend's house. Yep. I mean, there's this trail. He sure. left a trail. What they believe the motive was was money and greed. But remember, we just went into the whole abandonment betrayal killer? Yep. She was leaving him. She had finally left him. So couldn't this also the motive be betrayal for somebody like Wesley? Yeah, because not only that, he is going to be abandoned financially because he can't have his dream house. Without her. Where he's going to be like bringing girls and showing off. But Shamika had a good job and was went back to school to get her doctorate. So she was going to have money. So if they would have gotten married, he would probably be in a better financial situation. Yeah. So what did he need Jocelyn's money for? But I bet Shamika isn't looking for that. I bet she was just looking to have fun. You think? Yeah. They were together for a long time. Yeah, but she didn't have to commit to him. That's she didn't true. have to do anything. That's true. And they lived long distance. So they never and actually lived together. he was pretending to be someone he wasn't. He was pretending to be wealthy and have this house when yeah. in reality he was buried in debt. He put on a good show for Shamika and her family. So here's my question. Okay. Him killing Jocelyn wasn't going to fix his financial situation at all. No, because they were already divorced. They're divorced. He's not entitled to anything. Mm-mm. And and they didn't really have much. It's not like they had a – she had some retirement or 401K that he would have gotten part of if she died or – you right. know what I mean? Like there's – unless she had a life insurance policy, but I, if she did, I bet she canceled it if it was – That's what I was going to say. Even though they weren't officially fully divorced yet, 
if she had some sort of life insurance policy or 401k or anything like that, she would have taken him off of that. Oh, absolutely. She would have put her friends on that or her sister or her mother. Right. She was a smart girl. She wouldn't have kept him on anything, even the house. No, so actually it's just to spite her. Right. So I don't really think the motive was money and greed. Mm -mm. I think the motive was he was just pissed and he hated her and he wanted her gone. And she had abandoned him and betrayed him in his mind. But he started it. He exactly. abandoned and betrayed her. He abandoned and betrayed her way right? so before. I don't, I don't know. I don't I, know if it falls under that. That's, it's, this is wild, right? I keep yeah. doing wild ones. I it's mean, very wild. Yeah. <laughs> wild. So the defense tried to prove reasonable doubt. That's their job, of sure. course. Yeah. Wesley's cell phone was still in eastern Virginia on December 19th. No calls were received or dialed after the early morning. But he could have just left his phone at home. Of course. He probably didn't take his phone. Yeah, he knows that it can be traced, so you would leave it. And the blood drops and the hair that were found in the bathroom of Jocelyn's home were not a match for Wesley's. They were actually unidentified. Okay. Okay. All All right. Maybe they were the dogs. I don't know. Sure. Wesley was also seen at work after 4 p.m. in Chesapeake, which is a four-hour drive to Jocelyn's. And it's believed that she was murdered between 7.30 and 8 p.m., but they can't really give you a definite answer on when she was murdered because of the heat of the home. Mm -hmm. So she could have even been murdered later on that evening, which would have given him plenty of time to get there. Yeah. The defense also speculated that Marcy could have killed Jocelyn and that Marcy was the new love that she had written about in the suicide letter. So Marcy needed all of the condoms? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean. Wh- no, I know. It's so stupid. And Marcy, uh, they had an, an emotional relationship. Mm-hmm. Theirs was not physical. It was emotional. Yeah, they just kind of needed... And yeah. she needed Jocelyn as much as Jocelyn needed her. So why would she kill Jocelyn? Jocelyn wasn't dating anybody else. Right. No, that would be stupid. I know. Well, after nine days of testimony and 50 witnesses, the jury found Wesley Ernest guilty of the first degree murder of Jocelyn Ernest. Okay. He was given life in prison and a $100,000 fine, <laughs> which his dad probably paid. Ugh. After the verdict, Jocelyn's family finally gained access to her home. More than two years after she had died, it was a closed crime scene. So they finally were able to get in her home and there was like moldy food in the refrigerator. And it was just dirty and dusty and just, it wasn't her home anymore. And isn't that sad? That broke my heart because knowing her family, reading about her family and her friends, they would have wanted to go in there and get her stuff and preserve her memory. And it makes me sad. Yeah. Are you ready for a fun fact? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. This case isn't over. What? It's not over, guys. What happened? On July 26th, the guilty verdict was thrown out and Wesley was released. Dun dun dun! Are you serious? On the Lynchburg, <laughs> on the Lynchburg News and uh. Advance website, there was a comment left by a jury member 
on the Ernest trial under one of the articles that have been published about the case. In this comment, the man said that they had seen lots of evidence, including Jocelyn's journals, leading the jury to their guilty verdict. Okay, so this was actually a real jury member because they did some digging and found out who it was. Okay. And he said that during jury deliberation, the journals were brought in and set down on the evidence table in the jury room. They all believed that they were allowed to go through the evidence, including Jocelyn's journals. But they weren't because the judge had ruled that her journals could not be brought in as evidence. So who brought them in? I still don't know. Uh. I couldn't find out. He also admitted that there were a couple of jury members on the fence. But after looking through the notebooks, they were convinced that Wesley had shot and killed Jocelyn. So somebody came in and placed 17 journals on the evidence Do you think it's possible that – I'm not suggesting a criminal defense attorney is crooked. (laughs) But do you think it's possible that he could Mm. somehow get someone – to accidentally set them there, but Ooh. there's no way to prove who did it, knowing that at some point it would throw it. I didn't even think of that. I was thinking human error. I was thinking well, accidental. Possibly, I was not thinking that there it were, was done on purpose. If there were instructions to not use those and then someone accidentally put them in, but wouldn't the jury know that? Didn't they tell them that? Or they don't know they exist. They don't. They oh, knew no, of their existence, but they knew that they were not going to be able to see what was written in these journals. But they knew that she had journals. But then why would they read them, knowing that they weren't part of... Because they thought that since they were on the evidence table, that they were allowed to pick them up and go through them, even though they weren't part of the evidence. Don't you think someone would mention something? Be like, hey, don't I remember you guys saying something about <laughs> that this wasn't admissible? Well, I would now. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean... I know, I know. You had 12 people there. The new trial began on November 8th, 2010. Okay. This time it was in Amherst County and the jury pool was picked from Nelson County because this became a huge case okay. after after it all went down about the jurors and stuff. But this time the defense really hammered in on Marcy, trying to make her relationship more than what it actually was with Jocelyn. So planting the seed of doubt. Yes. And they had Marcy up on the stand for hours, just hammering her about their relationship. And they were trying to make Marcy out to be this woman scorned, this unrequited love. And Marcy had gotten divorced after After everything went down. Oh, I bet. Yeah. But um, like I said before, I believe that they just had an emotional relationship, this emotional friendship. They were just kissing friends. But it never went past that kissing on the couch. Okay. They both were in agreement that it wasn't going to go any further. Okay. And I believe they didn't want to ruin their friendship. Mm -hmm. So they just ended that part and continued on with their emotional affair, I guess, is what it was. There was a bombshell moment during this trial. Oh. Wesley admitted to breaking into Jocelyn's home in 2006 through a window that he knew he had never installed the proper locks on. After entering her home, he found her timeline paper and added to it with red ink. Why so he that, admitted to doing why that. Why the hell would he admit to that? I don't know. And I'm sure his attorney was sitting there like, no, 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 I object. <laughs> and uh, he sir, did. you can't object he was to objecting. your own... 
your own client. <laughs> yes, you can. He was like objecting to the line of question and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why would he? Because okay. he's an idiot. All right. Wesley, you are the biggest, dumbest, goofy idiot. But I mean, we don't know the whole, all of the circumstances. So maybe they kind of cornered him into it. No, I think he just thought that he could say whatever he wanted and they he was smarter than everybody else sitting there. Oh, that's what I think. Maybe that maybe that's it. All right. Once again, Wesley was found guilty of first oh. degree murder okay. and sentenced to life in prison. Bye, Wesley. <sighs> oh my gosh. Bye. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so Daniel, what do you think of my case? Okay. How many flags does it take? To make someone want to run the other direction. Mm, well, with this one, five to ten. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. There were so Jocelyn. many opportunities to run away. I know. And her family and friends just kept telling her, like, he is not a good guy. He's not. You have to leave him. There's so many other people out there in this world. But... Jocelyn uh -huh. and Jocelyn's family and her friends. We are so sorry for your loss. She sounded like a wonderful woman. But Wesley, you're where you should be, dude, for sure. So moral of the story is, even if you're doing great marriage-wise, don't build a seven-bedroom, <laughs> seven-bath house you can't afford. If you have to shop, uh. okay, if you have to shop at secondhand clothing stores or discount stores, in order to build this alleged dream home, that is not going to be a dream. It's going to be a nightmare. Mm, I like those Guaranteed. stores, though. <laughs> no, no, no. But, okay, but we're I not know, building I a seven-bedroom, seven-bath house. That's my I point. I get it. Heed Daniel's words. <laughs> Don't build a new house. <laughs> if you can't afford it. I if mean, you can't yeah, afford if it. They're, if they're bringing in, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, by all means, Build whatever the hell you want. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, we got some Patreons to thank. We really appreciate Ashley P. Thank you, Ashley. Heather S. Thank you, Heather. Oh, my gosh. Another Heather. We had two Heathers back to back. Are they twins? I don't think so. Heather M. Thank you, Heather M. Thanks, Heather M. And Heather S. And Jakob R. <laughs> I believe it's Jacob. Oh, Jacob. I'm it's sorry. It's Jacob. I'm just kidding. Thank you guys for joining our community. And if any of you out there in podcast land are interested in more of us and would like to hear more stories of betrayal and listen to Daniel talk about these cryptid shows that I make him watch mm -hmm. and get his reaction to those. Painful. He doesn't like that. <laughs> He's not a fan of, of the MacArthur Files, I'll tell you that much. But we have a lot of other stuff for you to enjoy. Also, what you could do for free is go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe and rate and review. And there's Spotify and all these other places. And if you do that for us, you should also do that for your other favorite podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it really helps all of us out and helps us grow and helps people find us. And we are also on Instagram, so come check us out over there. I tend to put Daniel in really awkward situations to get his reaction, which is really fun for me. Uh -huh, uh -huh, he hates uh -huh. it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot to hate. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Thank you. And be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. 
And divorce is always the better option. Yes. Bye. Bye.